The Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, uh, why don't you put your hands together and thank these uh, guys for performing and sharing good news with us. Uh, when Hope came down, uh, it's lovely to have uh, music teams who rehearse and come and help us to worship Christ, our Saviour today. Welcome to our service. You may not remember, but last year, our Christmas services were fully on live stream here. So today and last night, it was great to have people on site, despite the COVID restrictions, despite the fears that many of you have come together physically, and we pray that you stay safe as well. Friends, my elderly 88-year-old father lamented the other day. He said, son... How long is this COVID thing going to go on for? We all feel a bit like that, don't we? You know, I am Greek, but I'm getting sick and tired of Greek letters, aren't you? Alpha, Delta, Omicron. Anyway, you turn enough of the Greek already. Can we just move on with our lives? And then as we consider not only COVID, but tragedies in Tasmania where young children tragically lost their lives. Tornadoes wreak mayhem in the United States. A typhoon hits and devastates the Philippines. Corrupt governments oppress their own people. Civil wars bring terrible suffering to those in Yemen and other parts of the world. And even in Australia, we, uh, we suffer in different ways. Maybe loneliness, financial stress, the sadness and the pain of divorce sexual assault, anxiety, depression, tragedy, and even death. And even this past week, two families in our own church have lost their loved ones. So at Christmas, they're planning funerals. And we ask the question, does God understand our pain? Does he care? Does Christmas really change anything? And there's a piece of writing that I read many years ago that was a great encouragement to me and I want to tell you about it today because it gets things in perspective and gives us hope as we look at the Christmas message. It was called The Long Silence. 
And I want you to picture it with me. It says, at the end of time, billions of people were seated on a great plain before God's throne. There they were, masses of people everywhere, and God is up the front on his throne. It says, most shrank back before the brilliant light before them. The beauty of God, the holiness of God was just so big and people shrunk back. But there are some groups near the front who talked heatedly, not cringing with shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture and death, she said. And then in another group, an African-American boy lowered his collar. What about this, he says? Lynched for no crime but being black. In another group, there was a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer? She murmured, it wasn't my fault. So far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he had permitted in this world. How lucky God was, they said, to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light. But there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most. A Jew, an African-American, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed, athletic, a thalidomide child. In the center of the vast plain, they consulted with each other. And at last, they were clever, they thought. They were ready to present their case before God. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew, they said. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind. And then, let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured, they said. At last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die, so there can be no doubt that he died, they said. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. And as each leader announced their portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled across the plain. And when the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered a word. No one moved. For suddenly they all knew that God had already served his sentence. Friends, at Christmas, God stepped into human history to change the world, to suffer for us, to die for us, to defeat death for us, to give us hope for now and for the future. We are not alone in the universe. Our God is not distant and aloof. He understands our pain. 
he became one of us, he walked in our shoes. And that's what the Bible says that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And Robin will be happy to know I've used the I, not the E. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God in human flesh. He entered our world, he entered our experience. See, the prophet Isaiah had said some 700 years earlier, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, because he will be a king, a different type of king, yet a king. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God he will be called, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, we have a picture of a, a, a little ba- we have a baby up there in, our, in the manger representing Jesus. God became man, this little child, as an act of love and as an act of humility for us. The creator of the universe becomes part of his creation. Now let me say, for example, that the Muslim calls it blasphemy. The thought that we would teach that God becomes man to them is blasphemy. God would never limit himself to flesh and blood. They say it's absurd to think of God needing to eat, sleep, or go to the toilet. What type of God do you have? But what the Muslim calls blasphemy is in fact the crowning jewel of Christianity. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a great preacher from the past, a previous century. He writes this, listen carefully. Jesus was infinite and an infant at the same time. He was eternal and yet born of a woman. He was almighty, yet hanging on a woman's breast. He supported a universe, yet needed to be carried by his mother's, in his mother's arms. He was king of angels, yet the reputed son of Joseph. He was the heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas, Haddon Spurgeon writes. God with us. There he was, born in a little town called Bethlehem. It was a nothing town. It was a humble town. There was no fancy hospital for Jesus, not even a trendy home birth as we have today. There wasn't even room in the Bethlehem Hotel for him, born in a barn, laid not in a cot, but in a manger and animal feeding trough. How low can God go to show his love for you and for me? That's humility. Friends, the man who started Buddhism was a wealthy and powerful prince. The man who started Islam was a renowned and fearsome warrior. The bloke who started Christianity was born in a shed. That's the God we serve. Humble, gentle, loving. He spent most of his life unknown, began his public ministry at the age of 30, dead by 33, and transformed the world. But he grew up to fulfill his mission in the world. You see, Jesus did not simply teach us or go to the cross. He taught us the truth about God. Compassion to the lonely and the needy. If you're lonely and needy, God is on your side. He loved the poor and the outcasts. If you feel you don't belong in church, you belong here. He raised, or he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He wept with the hurting. God's son wept tears. He antagonized the religious leaders. He threatened the ruling authorities and he divided the crowd into those who followed him and those who rejected him. 
He experienced the pain of loneliness and rejection and injustice and torture and a cruel, horrific death on a cross. God understands our pain. Let me ask you today on Christmas Day, are you hurting this Christmas? It's been a tough year for a lot of people. Are you hurting this Christmas? Are you sick or lonely or depressed, whether you're in this auditorium or at home watching, unemployed, grieving, facing death, spiritually empty, looking for meaning, or even spiritually dead? Come to God for healing today. And if you're hurting, understand that God knows what it means to hurt. And he is the one who can bring peace and hope and healing. He can save you. Now, the Australian uh, author, John Dixon, uh, as well as writing many books defending Christianity and from a historical perspective, also used to be a singer in a band called In the Silence. He's wrote a book called A Hell of a Life. That's how he described the life of Jesus. It was a hell of a life. It's radical. It's different. It's, uh, it's uh, a, a life that transforms lives. But he speaks about going to a women's prison once in South Australia he had to sing and speak. He said, I turned up, I've never been to a prison before, and all these women, and if uh, you've ever been to a prison, uh, these women uh, are not too pretty, let's <laughs> put it that way. They're rough, they've had a tough life, they've often been abused, and, and they're angry. And he said, and we sang for them, we spoke to them, I bumbled through my songs, and, uh, and afterwards we had supper with them, and we talked, and we heard about their lives, how they ended up being in prison. I said, I went away and I wanted to write a song for these women. I said, I wrote a song about how you can go from being guilty to being innocent. A year later, he said, I was invited back to the prison. There we, we were back there. It was almost the same women are there still, 12 months later. And he said, we got up and uh, at the end of the concert, I sang the song I wrote for them. I told them that I wrote a song for them. But the word guilty stands over your life. And you're in jail because you're guilty. But Jesus comes to take your guilt away. Jesus comes to turn your guilt into innocence when you put your faith and trust in him. Jesus can change your lives, he said to them, because he died on the cross in your place. So that's what I was singing this song. I see the women will become really teary, starting to feel and hoping to believe that there might be somebody who could forgive them and save them. He said it was as if and they were saying, if only it were true that someone could forgive me, give me a clean slate in life. Friends, it's not only the women in prison, but it's for us too. People who are not in prison, and you might think your life's pretty good and you don't need saving, but you and I need saving too. We can have a clean slate with God. Because Jesus is also the God who saves. Not only is he God with us, he is God who saves. And she'll give birth to a son, we're told, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save or rescue his people from their sins. Why do they call him Jesus? Because Jesus means God saves. It comes from the Jewish name Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. Or God's, Israel's God is salvation. So in the very name, you know, he is a savior. The New Testament scholar Don Carson writes, God did not send us an economist. He did not send us a comedian. He did not send us a doctor. He did not send us a politician. He would have sent him if that's what we needed. No, but he sent us a saviour. Because our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And God knew what we needed. 
I say at Christmas, I think this is one of the most difficult themes to get across to people. There's food, there's family, there are gifts, uh, there are nativity scenes, there are carols events, there's love, there's rest, probably not too much rest at Christmas really, <laughs> it's on the go the whole time, it's holidays, the, the lights at St. Mary's Cathedral, and most people love singing Christmas carols, 91% of people said they love religious Christmas carols being sung in public, only 1.7 object to it. We all love the trimmings of Christmas, but Christmas tells us that we need a saviour, there's something wrong with us. And we don't like to hear that. I said to someone once, you need it saving. He said, what do you mean? Well, I don't need saving. What from? He said. So I'm not in jail. I mean, I have money. I have a a job. I have a wife. I have kids. What do you mean I need saving? I was able to explain to him that all of us have fallen short of God's standards. There's no one perfect. We all need a savior. Why do you think God left heaven to step into human history and live our life and have to go to the toilet, as the Muslim complained, if we didn't need saving, if you could save yourself, if you could get to heaven by yourself. You know, I think the, uh, I love the hymn Amazing Grace, but let me tell you, Amazing Grace is a slap in the face to all of us. When you sing that, you are telling yourself that you're a miserable sinner. You know, I was at Roselands a few years ago, and that was Christmas time, and as well as some carols, I was singing a Amazing Grace by an idol winner. And the words were cast across the shopping center. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Hold on now. What do you mean a wretch like me? Who do you think you are calling me a wretch? You know what a wretch is? A miserable and worthless creature. A despicable and contemptible person. And you sing it with great joy, don't you? Oh, what amazing grace, how sweet the sound that, sounded, oh, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I, I see. Wow, if you really mean that verse, then you're ready to meet God. If you really mean that, then you know that you need a saviour, God in human flesh. Friends, the author John, of that hymn, John Newton, knew he needed a saviour. He knew that he was a wretch. He knew he was lost. He knew he was blind. He was a slave trader. He effectively abused other people and used other people for his own ends. And then God touched his life and changed him. And he became an Anglican minister and he fought for the abolition of slavery. A wretch transformed by God. Friends, Christmas reminds us that we're all sinners. We're all rebels against God. We've gone our own way. And we see that in our society today. Christmas is a terrible day for a lot of people. You know what it reminds them of? And an abusive partner. They'll gather for meals and people will fight. It reminds them that they haven't spoken to a father or mother or brother or sister for a long time. For some families, it will remind them that they're alone, that their parents didn't want them, or their children don't want them. Selfishness, pride, Violence, rape, immorality. We see it in drunkenness and abuse. I was at a wedding reception once, and uh, there were two functions side by side. It's a wedding reception on one side that we were at, that was very civilized, and there was an end of year Christmas party in the other function center. Not so civilized. A lot of alcohol was being drunk, a lot of 
not so nice and the flowery language was being shared outside. And then one couple came out of the bushes. The woman was fixing up her clothes and her skirt. I said, well, my husband is not going to be very happy with this, she said. Too righteous is not going to be very happy with that. Friends, if you think that just happened, that's just one story, right across this Christmas season, you will see, not only the Christmas season, that all of life, our brokenness and our need of a saviour. That's why the Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of us deserve forgiveness. It is a gift of God to all who will come back to him. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves, he gives, whoever believes has eternal life. John Newton, the slave trader. Ange Gratsunas, the young rebel. Whatever it is, you can come back to him. Friends, I came back to Christ uh, when I was 14, in fact. And for 45, uh, 46 years now, I've lived as a follower of Jesus. Forgiven by Jesus, saved by Jesus, filled the Holy Spirit and trying to live this new life to the glory of Jesus. And many of you have had that same experience. You've met this Jesus. You know you're a wretch that needed forgiveness. But you've never made that decision. You've never made that choice to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, yeah, really, I've stuffed up. I keep doing it. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me one of your children. Can I urge you not to waste your life? Uh, As I come to the end of this talk on Christmas day, there's a story of a man who was converted in his old age, maybe 70s or 80s he was. And the church knew this man and they prayed for him for decades and he would visit church from time to time, but he was a hard man. He was resistant to the message. He didn't want to know about God and about Jesus. Maybe you're like that. But one day he made it to church and as the preacher was in the United States preached, at the end of the service he invited the man or anyone to come forward to give their life to Jesus, to start a relationship with God. And to everyone's surprise, this tough nut from up the back, never going to give my life to God at 80, walked down to the front. He sat at the front. He confessed his sins. He turned away from them and received Jesus as his Lord. And then something, he realized something. And he said to the pastor, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. He said, what do you mean you wasted it? that I've lived 80 years and I've wasted my life. I've only come to Jesus now. If only I'd come to Jesus earlier, then I could have used my life in better ways. Let me say, if you're a younger person today, let me urge you not to waste your life. Jesus is a great saviour. Let him rescue you. Put your trust in him. Let him lead you and do something of eternal value with your life. God calls you to to use your gifts and abilities to serve him, to love others, to bless the poor, to serve him overseas in mission, whatever it is. Listen to what God has to say to you and follow him. Don't waste it. And if you're older, you may in fact have wasted your life. You're getting towards the end of it and you think, what have I done? What have I done for eternal value? What's going to matter once I'm gone? I'm asking those questions today of myself. Hit 60 this year. It's all downhill from there, they tell me. Not my 80-year-old friends, they tell me it's still uphill. <laughs> Let me say, there's still time to come to Jesus. 70, 80, 90. God has his arms open wide for you to come to him. Only one life, which will soon be passed, 
only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, in that song that was sung to us earlier, we had these beautiful words. All of the angels lifted up their voices and filled the night with hallelujahs. God is with us now. Hope stepped down. Everyone come and join the heavenly chorus. Come. He says, everyone come. Our Saviour King is here before us, all to hear the sound, the song creation sang when hope came down. I wish you a very happy Christmas. I wish you a relationship with Christ which changes everything. And let me say today that if you'd like to know more, and uh, we have some free resources in the foyer you might like to read. Uh, we have a, a copy of uh, the New Testament. Maybe you don't have a Bible at home. Please take one of these. Read the stories for yourself about the life of Jesus. A couple of booklets, uh, Why Christmas? Why Did God Step Into Human History? Two Ways to Live, a new edition of that's a great little booklet to explain the message about Jesus. Take some of those, give them away to your family and friends this Christmas. If you're going for lunch, take them with you. Say, I was at church this morning, they gave us some free booklets. Would anyone like one, give them away. There's also another book here called Seven Reasons to Reconsider Christianity. We were promoting this last month. Many of our people bought that to read it and also to give to friends this Christmas. And uh, let me say, if you come regularly to Nawi Baptist, 10 bucks for you. If you're visiting today, you're just visiting and uh, you don't know much about Jesus, and this is for free. Feel free to take one from the table, take it, take it home, have a read, and maybe then give it away to someone else. We're going to bless you with more information about the Lord Jesus. Friends, we're going to sing again. Uh, a beautiful song, Angels We Have Heard on High. So I invite the team to come forward as they lead us. <laughs>